0: What's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Mary Harrington. She's a writer, columnist, and an author. Everyone has the temptation to share their life on the internet, but where does the line of sharing stop and oversharing begin? How has our performance for the crowd crept into our morals and changed the way that we see the role of privacy around our personal lives? Expect to learn what digital modesty is, why liberals would be more likely to date an OnlyFans worker than an OnlyFans subscriber, if there is a crisis with both masculinity and femininity in our culture, Mary's thoughts on the surrogacy industry, why women need to develop a strategy for not getting what they want, and much more. Mary is so fun. I I love her writing. Her book, Feminism Against Progress, was really great. And she is part of the Based British women squad, along with Louise Perry and Nina Power and stuff. So if you're fans of them, you'll love this one today. Other things, I am going to LA tonight. No, I'm going to Vegas tonight, and I have got a very big episode tomorrow, and then I'm in LA Friday and Saturday recording even more big ones with some massive returning guests and some huge first-times I can't wait for this. It's nice to be back in the rhythm of doing the Modern Wisdom Cinema episodes. And uh, I, I can't wait to release them. I'm really, I'm super, super fired up for this year. They, I wish I could tell you all the different guests that we've got that are coming on. But until they're recorded and on the hard drive, I, uh, <laughs> I don't want to count my chickens before they've goosed or whatever it's called. Uh, but yes, make sure that you're subscribed. It's the only way that you can never miss an episode. And the next few months are going to be massive. Plus, it helps to support the show. So go and do it. I thank you. This episode is brought to you by AG1. I have used AG1 every single day for nearly three years now. Since 2010, they've upgraded their formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. With just one scoop, you get the nutrients and gut health support that helps your whole body thrive and covers your nutritional bases. Also, there is a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and use it for 89 days every single day, and if you do not like it, they will give you all of your money back. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, plus that 90-day money-back guarantee. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. One of my favorite purchases over the last two years has been my cold plunge from the team over at plunge.com. They are the gold standard when it comes to cold therapy. You may have heard Joe Rogan and Andrew Huberman talking about the benefits of repeated cold exposure, and it is real. You feel so amazing after you've done it, and the improvement in your mood is insane. So, if you've been thinking that you want to get started doing cold therapy, but you cannot be bothered going to the store to get yourself ice every single time you need to do it, this is for you. Also, they've just released their own sauna, which is ridiculously high quality as well, and we are bouncing between the two doing what's called contrast therapy, which makes you feel even better. So yeah, if you're looking to make a change, if you're looking to get yourself a cold plunge or a sauna for your house, this is the place to go. Best of all, they've got a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 29 days, and if you do not like it, they will give you your money back. Go to plunge.com to get your cold plunge and sauna today with $150 off your purchase by using the code MW150 at checkout. That's plunge.com and the code MW150 at checkout. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mary Harrington. What do you mean by digital modesty?
1: Oh yeah, that's that's an idea I've been playing with a lot recently, which is really just about where we've got to with the exposure of everything on the internet. Um, and this is something I've found myself thinking about a lot more and the more I, the more i found myself writing in public and speaking in public and really sort of being present online, whether it's on Twitter or wherever, which is, is, is there anything that we shouldn't be posting? um and the more i think about that the more the more i conclude that yes there are absolutely things that we shouldn't be posting or rather um if there are things which if if we if we do share them we should expect negative consequences to follow from that i mean i've and the more i thought i've i've read i've derived a set i guess of basic principles for what i won't post i won't post selfies online. I mean, I'll, I'll post m- my face is all over the internet, right. But in the context of a conversation, you know, I, I, you and I are here, you, you and I are here to not, we're not here to talk about my face. I mean, my face is just my face. We're here to where we're here to exchange ideas and to have a conversation, but I won't post, I won't post selfies. Yeah. I can, I actually, I remember the point where I realized that you, I shouldn't, I didn't want to post selfies was, was just after I, I ran over the finish line of a marathon a couple of years ago. And I trained for it and I trained for it and I trained for it and I worked so hard at it. And at that point, I think I had maybe 10,000 followers on Twitter. And I and I took a photo of myself having crossed the finish line, looking like hell, um, completely exhausted, and high as a kite on endorphins. And I nearly I nearly pressed send, and then I was like, "Whoa, don't do that! Do not do that!" And I, and I deleted it. And I didn't. I I did not post the selfie of myself having just crossed the finish line. Why? Because I realized if I did, like probably 75% of the people who follow me would say, great, well done, congratulations, and I get lots of love. The other 25% will be the people who hate follow. Because they they exist. Once you get past a certain point, you get you have haters on the internet. Because like people can find people can hate anything. You know that's just the law of the internet. People will find something insane to hate, even if it's just people doing like middle aged women doing marathons. Um, and and then and, and it would have there would have been one mean comment which would have just crushed me, and it would have ruined my day. And I thought, what's the easiest way of not experiencing that one mean comment? It's just not just don't post the picture. But it's more than that. It's also that it it exposes something intimate and personal, which I realized was just not something which was. It wasn't for everybody else it was my my my, that that moment was for me and it was for my for my family and for the people who'd supported me it wasn't for and and for the people who'd 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 supported me to fundraise it wasn't for general consumption and and I realized that that actually there is a boundary um and and I've I've spent more time online I've 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 appeared in public more since then and the more the more I do it the more I've I've come to think that actually we need you the more exposed you are potentially online the more the more intentional you have to be about thinking, thinking, thinking clearly on where you draw the line,
0: like a digital hijab.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've, I've, I wouldn't. Use, that's that would be a problematic way of putting it in public because I think you know there are you know, borrowing from other people from a faith which I don't personally espouse um, as as a metaphor. Digital um, modesty will do? Did, okay, did, so did, no did, selfies. So no selfies. No pictures of my home. No pictures of my child. No pictures of my husband. No discussing my husband, my child, or my home, um, except in the most general terms. Um, and and really, no, no no discussing intimate matters from my social life and my my family. Life and my home life, hmm. um, unless it's in in the most general terms or with the consent of anybody else involved, because ultimately, like these are my these by virtue of being relationships, they're things which don't just belong to me, and because it doesn't just belong to me, I can't mind. It, I have no right to mind that for content.
0: Justify for the non-content creator people why. A degree of digital modesty is also a good idea.
1: Okay, so the the more I thought about digital modesty, the more I realized that what we're actually talking about is, is setting boundaries on the culture of transparency. Um, and this is really something which I think we've inherited from the 1960s and the sort of hippie utopianism, and this idea that you know if we all let it all hang out, if we're just open about everything, if we all just share and we're we're honest and we're authentic, then somehow everything is going to be better. And that might have been true, but maybe that was true to an extent before the internet because there was a limit on what you could share. But now we have the internet; we could theoretically be documenting literally every moment of our lives. And on those, account- you know, those people who've tried documenting li- literally every aspect of their lives online have generally ended up in. Some pretty horrible places i mean i can't remember the name of the guy but there was there was a famous there was a famous subculture there, there, there was some guy online who, who who documented literally every aspect of his life and he ended up getting trolled and he he basically went to some very dark places and ended up you know yeah and then in in, in in profound kind of yeah really sinister kinds of audience capture um
0: it wasn't nicocado avocado was it I mean, no, he, like- he,
1: he's a more recent case in point, right, actually. Okay. I mean, you know, people who end up sort of, you know, crying and breaking up with, with and, and getting back together again with his boyfriend whilst for eating en- enormous plates of food basically for internet clout. You know, there's a, there's a sort of race to the bottom aspect there. But, but, but more generally, even for people who are not uh, professional internet... Uh, uh, presence have mm-hmm. us um, the the culture of the the culture of transparency and the sort of tyranny of transparency has negative effects and I, I was thinking about this but like in the context of dating I mean you you know periodically you see these TikToks which which young men or women put out where they're like oh you know I I just I I, I point of view you're on a date and they're literally filming the date um, while they're on the date and then they're criticizing the 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 their counterpart on the date while they're actually doing it or they've gone to the loo to make a TikTok about how how their date is Going wrong while they're actually having the date, and I'm thinking, well, if you if you never draw a line and say if if you if you arrive in a sort of potentially intimate situation, you always got that imagined audience in your head, which is potentially everybody on the internet. How are you ever supposed to create a shared intimacy with anybody? And I was thinking, so it's like transparency is not just the enemy of desire. Transparency is the enemy of intimacy. It's the enemy of relationships. And if if there's nothing if there's no gap at all between what you'd say on main and what you'd say in private, there's there's, intimacy is just meaningless, it's not a thing.
0: One of my friends who I came up doing club promo with, he was in Southampton and I was in Newcastle running the same event, Carnage, which was an event where you bought a t-shirt as your ticket and there was tasks on the back, like uh, pulled a pig, got off with three randoms, uh, swapped shoes with somebody, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera, right? Very sort of mid noughties, Larry British drinking culture stuff. and I was asking him where he thought that the Larry culture, which although maybe not exactly like emotionally healthy is a kind of a uh, liberated licentiousness, uh, which kind of speaks of a degree of transparency and honesty and truth. Like, I'm just going to do what I want, right? I'm not going to perform. Uh, and where that had gone, where like the Larry, like, you know, pulled randoms in a club type thing, because that's not what happens. We see- Doesn't for, happen anymore. No. And he said it's because of this sort of- imaginary audience. S- Stasi surveillance state run by gullible volunteers, which is everybody with a phone in their pocket.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly that. You know, there's no, there's no. You you can't do pranks. You can't you can't have a, a a crazy night out with your friends anymore. I mean, I we we threw some completely bonkers parties when I was when I was in, you know, late teens, early twenties. I remember the the absence and laughing gas party, which I can only remember kind of in in bursts, and that that was a magical evening, which are yeah you know, unforgettable and also unrememberable. Um, but there's absolutely no way that could have happened, any of it, um, if, if, if camera phones had been a thing at the time. And I'm thinking, you know, there are, there are a huge number of benefits that come. There are, There are new kinds of communication, there are new forms of relationship. I mean, you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking to one another if it wasn't for this phenomenal technology that we have that brings people together in some ways. But if, we, if we're not able and willing to set boundaries um, on what we will and won't share then it, it it will eventually scoop out everything that's inside us and leave us no scope for intimacy or uh, interpersonal connection at all.
0: Ultimately, everything becomes performance. Everything's content. Yes. So I had a conversation with George, my friend, earlier on, and we were saying I had an aversion to taking photos for a while because given my Love Island alumnus status – I had seen a lot of people who did photos and I'd associated, every time you take a photo of yourself or what you're doing or wherever, that is you shilling yourself for content on the internet. But that's not true. People took photos way longer before social media existed. So I had associated, the only reason for taking a photo is to post it online, therefore I won't take a photo because I don't want to be one of those wanky Love Island people that post all of their life online. But that caused me to not post my life online, which I wasn't going to do anyway, but also not take any photos of the fun stuff that I was doing. So I've got these huge dearths of, mm. of my life where I don't have photos of me and my friends doing stuff. I went for lunch with Douglas the other day. I wanted to, like, I was like, I want to remember this. I want to remember the pink shirt that he was wearing and the fact that I had Crocs on and like, you know, just like stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's take a photo, but I have to get over my own fear that I'm doing it for content, even though I know I'm not going to post it. Mm. You know, it's like a, I got like, Like fucking projecting myself into the future that I'm not a part of.
1: But is the stuff that you would just categorically never photograph?
0: No. No, I would, I would, it would be like times with friends, you know, like I'm on a hike with some friends or whatever, but I'm in nature and I feel like I'm supposed to be, like I'm primitive man here and I shouldn't have my phone out because it feels gauche somehow to do it or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, here I am at the top of the mountain, but it's not, it's here I am with my friend that I've just taken a hike with and I really want to remember this or maybe I'll frame it and put it on my wall at some point or something. Like that seems like all of that stuff's a good idea. That's a good use of technology up until the point at which you, everything becomes an OnlyFans for yourself.
1: I don't know. I'm possibly slightly more radical than that in the sense that, uh, well, I mean, I mean, I think about when I'm I, I run a lot, um, so I'll, I'll run. You, Red flag. <laughs> you, you you lift, I run. It's just you know. If it <laughs> um, so so I run a lot, and and the, one of the reasons I run is because I can't do that while simultaneously scrolling. Like I, right, yeah. I the, the reason but
0: you can lift actually, you can do it in between sets. But in the, the,
1: the reason, the reason I obsess about all of this stuff is because ulti- like I'm, I'm so so hardwired to to the, the the rage machine like i'm so plugged into the internet which is why i, I find myself kind of res- wrestling with the outer limits of it at all and one of the reasons i run and one of the reasons i, I treat that as absolutely sacrosanct space in my life is because it's physically impossible to do that while simultaneously scrolling and i have a, an absolutely cast iron rule for myself that it doesn't matter how beautiful the scene doesn't matter how gorgeous the sunrise when i've gone for like a two-hour dawn run and i'm out in the middle of nowhere hmm. i will not stop and photograph it Uh, I will not, I will not stop and record that because I don't want to allow space for that imaginary audience. But um,
0: see there again, there's no reason I understand why you do that. I think that's a noble like set of rules to set for yourself. The reason that that has happened is because of the social media side, not because of the photo side. Let's say that you had a beautiful photo album of all of the beautiful sunsets that you'd ever seen. It is, again, this sort of crossing over of the barrier of not just this is for me, but that there is something inbuilt into technology that kind of like infects, it gets into me. And if I open my phone, oh my God, what if I see a fucking notification from Twitter and then I'm sucked into a scroll hole and my entire run is, is ruined and stuff like that. I'd say it's a shame that something which can be, you know, my videographer's got this like real special sort of point and click camera that is very low friction, and he bought it specifically, even though he had all of the kit in the world, but he bought this very specific camera, which is just point and shoot, and all it does is that. And he bought that to remove the friction and remove the performative nature of this. So I just think it's it's an interesting blend. But we you, you were talking before about how, um, people who put a lot of themselves online, they can have unforeseen uh, repercussions. I guess if a lot of people are clustering together over their political opinions, and if you even pseudonymously post hardcore political opinions on the internet, eventually the person that you're potentially looking to date is is presumably going to get exposed to whatever it is that you do online. And if you are a hardcore, if you're fucking bronze age pervert or something it's like oh all right like and now i have this entire other side of you that needs to be folded into our dating pool mm. and i learned from scott galloway in 1960 one in 25 parents had concerns about their child marrying someone from the opposite political party by 2018 almost half of democrat parents and a third of republican parents had such concerns and a third of each party sees the other party as an enemy so given this sort of clustering around political opinions more than many other things and a lot of people doing the pseudonymous, anonymous shit posting online thing, you are potentially creating a future in which your uh, entire mating pool has been restricted by opinions that you had six months ago. And you've got the choice between either lying to somebody about your shitposting online thing or trying to somehow fold that into a conversation that they can be accepting of.
1: I'm not even sure how you how you resolve that. I mean, I, I'm fortunate. I'm immensely blessed in that uh, my husband and I met some time ago. And this, was just, this has just never really been, you know, the, before, before even before really- Before you in, were an opinion be, sprayer. <laughs> before I was a professional opinion haver, a long time before I was a professional opinion haver, um, and really long before political polarization was anywhere near its current level of completely about shit crazy so I mean it was it was completely academic and and the <laughs> honestly honestly Chris the the advice I give to anybody anybody who's single and extremely online is date somebody who's just not very online you know, you can only have one very online person in a relationship, you know, except in the most unusual circumstances yeah, not too. because and and uh, anecdotally, from younger friends I know who are also opinion havers, whether anonymously or uh, or or on, on their under their own faces. Um, anecdotally, it's a real problem. Because, well, I mean, you know, quote one 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 right wing anon who I chat to periodically, who shall remain nameless, um, told me that I mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but 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 essentially um, he 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 has a, he has a real problem because he, if he like he says if you, your choices your choices between an eagle uh, a right wing e-girl, and they're generally un, like a little they can be on the unstable side um, or somebody who doesn't know anything about your opinions in which case? How on earth are you going to explain what you do, what you spend all day doing online? And furthermore, what what's going to happen when she finds out about your opinions on the internet? Yeah. You know, it's it's not going to be great. Like, it's a real problem. So, like, how, how how are you supposed to form any kind of a any any kind of a, a genuine mutually satisfying relationship under those circumstances? I don't know the answer. I mean, I I suppose I come back again to to digital modesty and the idea that we have to reserve some some space for intimacy, which is protected from. From the imaginary audience that we have on the internet, and actually, I think in some ways, what the anons do is is wise in that sense because by virtue of being anon, they've already drawn a, a very clear boundary. You know, they said there are, but, but you know, if you want to stay, if you're anon and you want to stay anon, um, you there are there are there's a whole swathe of stuff that you just can't share. You can't really post anything about where you are or what you do for a living, or you know, or, or anything that's too close to what what your what your day to day activity is. And so and so that that creates just by it, it, it's a very a very blanket way of setting some boundaries on what you're willing to share but for the rest of us uh it's it's a real challenge knowing knowing where to draw those lines and where to, and where to protect your where, where where to protect what's just yours and what belongs to you and the people you love
0: yeah d- douglas taught me a couple of years ago uh keep your private life private yep. and um i think you know one of the things that people can see is that Relationships and makeups and breakups and the vicissitudes of your personal life can be a very effective wedge to begin leveraging uh, to be able to create a, an audience. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. the same as it's the same as every person who decides to call out some other internet commentator and have an argument with them. That's a very effective way to garner eyeballs. Uh, uh, yeah, attention and eyeballs. At what cost? What does it say about you? What sorts of conversations does it open up? The machine
1: always wants more.
0: Yeah, correct. Doesn't
1: doesn't matter what how much you feed it. The machine always wants more. If
0: you more. think that having a relationship is hard, try having a relationship with a couple of million people who are also invested in the outcomes of your relationship.
1: Right. You know, every so often I see you. Know, so I, I see a nonz with a bit of a platform. You know, report that it, it somehow it somehow comes out that the, the two two people who have a bit of a platform are uh, having a relationship with one another, and all of a sudden everybody cares and everybody wants. And I'm like, why am I even invested in this? I have no idea who these people are. Yeah. But it's I I don't know. Maybe it's just a byproduct of being otherwise relatively atomized and feel like there's a basic Uh, human need to sort of feel like you have a wider community.
0: I wonder if a little bit of it is kind of like um, who wins in a fight between Batman and Superman, like who gets into a relationship.
1: (laughs) Please please say more, I don't know what you mean.
0: Well, that like you've got two people, both of whom you know individually, and they are now in a relationship together and you go, oh, what happens if these two worlds collide or something? Uh, You know, Brett Cooper got engaged the other day and she announced on the internet that it was like the back of a fiance's head, maybe the side of his arm and his shoe or something. And it's like this is the first and last time that the internet's going to see a part of like my husband's body. He's fiancé's body. He's not interested in being famous. And I really like him for that. And that's what you've got there. It's like a one-sided internet relationship. Uh and she did a little bit of time talking about it and now she's just going to move on. But yeah, you you got to be careful. And again, to kind of sing the song for the people who don't have a a following or a desire to monetize it or any of the other things it is a genie that does not go back in the box toothpaste does not go back in the tube because once there are photos of things that you have on the internet the place that you live the kids that you have like little stuff like you know if you take a photo of your kid in their school uniform on the first day of school guess what that school uniform identifies which fucking school they go to so yeah very very interesting talking about this i found a study that i think is is kind of associated. A survey was sent out breaking down whether participants of different political ideologies would refuse to date a current OnlyFans worker and an OnlyFans subscriber. Percentages of participants who would not date a current OnlyFans worker. Left-leaning 43, moderate 63, right-leaning 84. Percentages of women who would not date a current OnlyFans subscriber. Left-leaning 70, moderate 78 right 84. So right is 84 for both, but there are way more left-leaning people who would date an OnlyFans worker than would date an OnlyFans subscriber. And I think that that says kind of quite a lot about some of the signaling that people on the left are looking to do at the moment that like sex work is real work and we you know you can like monetize yourself as you wish, but there is still an inherent ick from women to the men who are a part of that ecosystem, even-
1: I, w- I would be curious to to hear like what the what the methodology was and whether there was any effort to control for preference falsification. How so? Um, well, I mean, if, when you think about when it, when you think about what orthodoxy is on the left um, around you know sex work is work and yada yada yada, um, I'd be willing to bet that the, there would be a subset of people who asked you know would you be willing to date an onlyfans worker would lie. Um, even if they weren't actually, even, even if actually, honestly, if you ask them in the pub privately, off the record, they they'd be like, yeah, no, yeah, no, that gives me the ick. Um, if if you ask them in that sort of a context, they would give they would give the morally approved answer for for their political tribe, which is, oh yeah, that's fine, sex workers work. Or I, I don't know, maybe some of them genuinely don't care, but I, I I'm willing to bet that it's a higher proportion actually of 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 men on on both sides of the political spectrum who, what, who don't actually find that appealing.
0: What do you learn about the wouldn't date a current? only subscriber thing
1: okay so so the difference between well um, le, le, like a guy who's addicted to porn is basically is fundamentally low low status you know and i think it's 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 moral it's considered morally acceptable across the entire political spectrum to dunk on to to, to, to dunk on lonely like masturbatory horn dogs. Hmm. that's like no, nobody nobody cares about them you know that that's that's you know, incels are low status. Yeah, um, the simps so so and the so perverts, no, yeah. and the yeah. porn addicts. Yeah, the, the simp's, the simp's, the perverts, and the and the porn sick like losers. Like no nobody cares about them. Everyone's happy to to dunk on them. So there's less of a, less of a pressure to preference falsification. Whereas whereas uh, women women in the sex industry have a much big much heftier architecture of sort of moral hectoring around them. At least yes. on the left. So so that would be that would be my read on what's going on there. Yeah, uh, preference falsification.
0: What did you learn? after the release of the Barbie movie. Did you reflect on sort of what that did culturally?
1: Did it do anything culturally?
0: I think there was an awful lot of conversations around what true feminist power, feminine power means, and whether or not there is still this sort of rampant patriarchy that is kind of <coughs> keeping women down and so on and so forth. And then there was the right wing reaction and there was the left wing left wing re reaction to the right wing reaction and all the rest of it. So I, I thought it was interesting. You know, if anything that Ben Shapiro needs to do a forty five minute video about like after he's watched Dressed as Ken, <clears throat> I thought was an interesting uh yeah, I thought it was an interesting opportunity.
1: My favorite read on the Barbie movie was was that, that it was a straightforwardly reactionary text. And that it what was might and, and that it was, it was arguing fu- fundamentally against feminism and arguing fundamentally for women as well, the, for, for, for the embodied differences between men and women. And that, that there was, there was nothing, there was nothing progressive or feminist about it at all. Uh, how
0: so, how, what would you say to the people who are like, how could you say this? There was, it was obviously was pushing back against men and men were on the receiving end of all of the jokes and they laughed at them and all the rest of the things.
1: But they, but pregnant Barbie was expelled from the Barbie verse. I mean, there's no darker commentary on the on the on the boundaries of liberal feminism. (laughs) I mean, this is this is what I spend my entire professional career harping on about. Mm Chris is the is the fact that liberal feminism has a mother shaped blind spot, and it's right there in the film. It's it's as though it's as though the. I mean, even if it was meant as a liberal feminist text, it's a liberal feminist text that's telling on itself in a in a sort of compulsive. Verbal diarrheaish way, and, I, and 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 this is the this is the reactionary read of of the Barbie movie. I mean, you know, from I suppose you could say that it's it's in the na- like a good piece of art is never is never a straightforward politi- piece of political propaganda. You know, it doesn't work. Like good stories are never are never straightforward moral lectures. You know, good stories always always contain the the the, the other perspective, and good stories are always just more complicated than that. But I mean, even if even if it was intended as a piece of, of feminist propaganda, propaganda it told on itself in some powerful ways, um, including by that detail of expelling pregnant Barbie from the Barbieverse.
0: In other news, this episode is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. It's a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks, and it is the best way that I have started my morning every single day for over three years now. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Your adenosine system that caffeine acts on isn't active for the first 90 minutes of the day, but your adrenal system is, and salt Acts on your adrenal system. So if you want to be more awake, want to regulate your appetite, curb cravings, and have better brain health, this is the way to start your day. Head to drinklmnt.com slash modernwisdom to get a free sample pack of all eight flavors with your first box. Plus there is a no BS, no questions asked refund policy so you can buy it 100% risk-free. That's drinklmnt.com slash Modern wisdom. I was talking to Louise about the unobvious ways in which our culture is anti-family. I didn't get round mm. to actually finding out. I just harped on myself. <laughs> um, what would you say? Some of the ways that people might not realise that culture could be anti-family.
1: Well, I, I can give you a very straightforward anecdote. So, I don't live in London. I live. I live out in the boonies. Um, uh, I have. I've travelled into London with a toddler in a pushchair. Um, and you know, occasionally somebody will help you up and down the steps on the tube with your pushchair. Sometimes people do something. Sometimes people don't. Um, but like nobody will really give you the time of day. Nobody looks at your kid. Um, can't really. I, I'm not sure that I could explain why. I've also travelled into London with a dog. Um, everybody wants to talk to your dog.
0: Right. I mean, you is know, it not just that dogs are better than humans cross the board? <laughs> like your 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 dog is beautiful and 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 very lovely, but. It's impossible to be better than a dog, I think. That's the way it works.
1: You, you only say that because you don't have kids.
0: True. Fair enough. Look, here's the thing that I, I've also realised. Dog walks past you. You're everybody. A dog is kind of like, it's the world's pet. It's not your pet because you are allowed to go over and tap it on the head and what's your name and blah, 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 blah. If someone, Presumably, it might be nicer if more people acknowledged your daughter as she walked by. But if they started coming over and patting her on the head and, and feeding treats. in other countries that actually
1: happens? I mean, you maybe not the feeding treats, but in other countries like people respond to a, to a random child completely differently. You get warm looks, you get interactions from strangers. Mm. It's only in Britain that people are like, "Oh, I must not look at your child." And I don't, I don't know that I I don't fully understand the psychology behind not looking at somebody else's child or not wanting to even acknowledge that there's a little person in the vicinity. Do you wonder if, do you but wonder there's if, something very distinctive about it.
0: Do you wonder if it's like the nonce radar thing that people are so concerned of being seen as like some latent sexual predator.
1: There is, for men, that's definitely a factor, and I, I know that because I've I've spoken about it with with male friends and peers who, yeah. you know, who who confirmed to me that they they'll they'll be very cautious about interacting with with mothers and children in 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 a public setting, mm. um, because they're terrified of being labelled in that way. And I think there's something really toxic about that.
0: And something. Well, I've found I think I've told you this that over the last few years, my paternal instinct has started to kick in, and children have gone from being super annoying and lame to like kind of cute. So, but I, I see a child now, like let's say it's like some little girls being walked along by her mother or her father or whatever in the park near where I live. And I'm like, I want like a grin at whoever the, over the top, go over the top.
1: I'm like, Nie, 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 Nie. 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 I'm going this way.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm like- This, this is huge. Like, yeah, well, it's I'm enough water. Go. You're high. You're a highly performance athlete. Um. And I like have a grin at the child as they walk past, and I'm thinking, "Oh fucking hell!" I'm the, <laughs> I'm the strange man. I'm like the, the 30s 30 year old man with a pocket full of Werther's originals. Precisely correct. <laughs> I you know, know
1: it's really rahetmol. dark. It's really dark. It's really dark. And and I want. I mean, you know, the 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 total number of nonsings today is not no no higher actually than it was f- 50, 20, th- 30, 30, 50 years ago. Um, right. If anything, so but but the, the the level of panic is so much greater.
0: Right. So the anti-child. Accepting and pleasantry culture isn't helping to reduce the non rate. It's just making life for it's just making
1: life lonely. Mothers and, and, and kids
0: mm. like kind of more lame.
1: I mean, it's very it's it's difficult. I I don't know that I would be I I'd, I'd be cautious about drawing clear causal lines between those things and it, and whether whether the, the stranger danger and all of that panic is is a cause or an effect. I I'd, I'd be hesitant to speculate without a bit more data, but um. No, none of it, no, none of it helps you to feel any more part of a community when you're existing in public with a child,
0: let alone multiple children. Right? Yeah. Does it feel alienating, a little bit?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's. It's particularly palpable when you've got very small children, because I mean, when before, before well, once your kid is in school, you're sort of in this in 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 a, you're you're kind of part of an ecosystem at that point. You know, you're 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 part of the of the school mums WhatsApp group, and you're part of you're part of a community, and you know there are events you go to, and you see the same kids around at, um, at brownies or whatever. Um, and so so after you you sort of start to fit in with with a fabric of other people, and you and you do realise that actually some I mean if you live in a small town as I do at least you know that if, if you're if you're fortunate enough to live somewhere like that, then that something of that fabric is still there, even if you do have to go looking for it mm. a little bit. Um, but uh, but when when you're when you're a very new mum, particularly when it's your first or in my case my only, um, it's it, it feels like you've just you just fallen off the edge of the world into somewhere completely different. And you know, old old women will smile at you on the street, but pretty much pretty much nobody. You, you, it's very hard to establish where you fit at all. Hmm. apart from that
0: there's a lot you know going back to kind of i guess barbie's cultural commentary uh there's a lot of talk about the crisis of masculinity mm-hmm. at the moment if i was to make a prediction for the next sort of five to ten years i think that i would project out that there will be a big crisis of femininity coming down the pike at least a little bit i, I think that it, it it can't be the case that women continue to grow up because there is a dearth of good male role models, but the female role models are no better. The only difference is that they're allowed to be on TV more, that they get more airtime and that when women have problems, there is a little bit more mainstream sympathy. I
1: think that's probably true. I mean, I, I suppose I would frame it very slightly differently. Um, like the the problem, as I see it, isn't it's not it's not necessarily just a crisis of masculinity or a crisis of femininity. It's a total crisis of embodied humanness, which hits the sexes differently, um, and which is downstream of having developed a culture in which almost nothing about our physical bodies makes very much difference at all. Um, at least if you if you live in if if you do a knowledge based if, if your occupation is in the world of information I mean if you if, if, I mean if you're an oil rig worker obviously like your physical body matters a lot. You know, to an extent, you know, if you do something physical, Um, but those, those, that, that, pr- as a proportion of the economy, has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. With with industri- deindustrial first, first, with the, the 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 deep rural depopulation as agriculture industrialized, and then with the industrial re- with with deindustrialization, deindustrialization as the second tier of that. You know, the number of people who do manual work has been shrinking with every generation, mm. and and the number of people who do who who work in the world of information has been growing. And I mean, if you work in the world of information, it does. Doesn't matter what shape your body gender is. Gender really. neutral occupation. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're all gender neutral occupations. In theory, any of us could be driving a spreadsheet. It doesn't matter, you know. And, and,
0: driving <laughs> a spreadsheet.
1: And arguably, I mean, the same. The same goes, arguably, to a great extent for the for the, being a professional opinion haver. It doesn't matter what sex you are. Yeah, the keyboard
0: and, wielders can be the same
1: right, sex. Right. Do, it doesn't matter. And, and and there's a real there's a concrete question which face confronts all of us in that context, which is to what extent does do our bodies even matter? And I think really this is what the gender ideologues are pushing at from the opposite direction. You know, they're they're making a very strong statement that you know what shape my body is doesn't matter so much so in fact that I'm entitled to remodel mine as I see fit and and they and, and making building a whole prof- political platform on the basis of that premise and and. W- else but 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 everybody is confronted with the same question, even people who are not signed up to the whole sort of meat Lego worldview. everyone's confronted with the same question if if I'm driving a spreadsheet or being a professional opinion haver, like what def- what difference does it even matter? You know who cares? who cares what shape my body is? you know is is masculinity or you know what does it mean to be a man or to be a woman when when we're all just you know disembodied heads on the internet well, I, d- I don't know the answer to that, but I grapple with it every day.
0: Well, it's definitely something I think that people grapple with and ultimately you know given that work is maybe one of the most important things that you do that might contribute but there will be times where your biology and your predisposition smash up against your nature and the experiences that you have in life
1: i completely agree and i think this is this is what we this is what it would benefit all of us to to be more to be talking more about and to be leaning more into, and I mean sometimes it you, you, I see people making early attempts at that or sort of trying to trying to find ways into that and you get these sort of ridiculous kind of trad subcultures for example who are trying to find ways to be men and women hmm. in a sort of post human age which is really kind of what we're talking about here, you know and and it kind of doesn't work and it's kind of cringe and often I mean what, what would be an example? Well, I mean, okay, so uh, uh, backing up a bit, so there was a, there was a real. Like among the alt right in particular, this is something which I've been reading into a bit recently. Um, among the alt right, you know, in the, between sort of 2016 and maybe 2020, there was a real the, the, there was a real boom in influences of both sexes, but actually quite a lot of young women um, who were who were calling for you know pushing back against the kind of modern degeneracy and saying you know we should all we should all re embrace traditional gender roles and we should have more traditional set up relationships and that we could fight back against the collapse of everything in that way. Um, as it turned out, a lot of those, a lot of the women who actually tried doing that um, just absolutely hated it. Or, or the, the relationships were really messed up and it turned, you know, a lot of the relationships were abusive. And there are women who are coming out of that now having survived an, an alt right attempt at a trad relationship who are just massively beaten up and traumatized by the experience and who are now this sort of unhinged kind of subset of. Uh, like post alt right radical feminists, what was and their
0: what was their experience of the relationship? Um, like? Well,
1: I mean, I'm, I, 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 if you if if you want an example of somebody who went who went all the way through one, uh, one variant of this, you should look up Lauren Southern's story. Okay. I mean, you know, w- without wanting to make any comment on her opinions or her political trajectory, but I mean, she she, she went through something along these lines and ended up living in a trailer park with a, with a toddler. Um, you know, having having married somebody who was possibly a fed, I, it was it was That's all, full all very, yeah, right. I mean, it, it was a cra- absolutely crazy arc. And you know, having having leaned all the way into being a kind of alt right, you know, trad anti feminist influencer, she en- yeah, she ended up as a single mother living in a trailer park, and is now I, I don't know what she's doing now. But yeah, I mean, there are there are great many people who di- who sincerely tried to kind of re synthesize something like the old the old way of of men and women interacting, and have found that it just just blew up underneath them. And I don't know, for all I know, there were there are relationships who formed. And the which are still flourishing, but there are a lot there are a lot of others that went extremely wrong.
0: What is it that's blowing it up?
1: I don't know. I I, I honestly I think like trying to trying to reverse engineer a set of a set of social sex differences without the material underpinnings which created those sex dif- those different sex social norms is just it's a it's a fool's errand, honestly.
0: What like can you get specific? Okay. Like vague me, but specific.
1: Uh I'll, I'll have to come at this from the other direction. Um, so, so one of the themes, one of the themes in I've written about in feminism against progress is the, the the those ways in which like men and women have both always worked. You know, at least up until the beginning of the industrial era, men and women always worked, but both sexes did, and they did so complementarily. Now, Ivan Illich writes beautifully about this in Gender, which I strongly recommend as a book if you're interested in in the the, the deep history of of the relations between the sexes. And he writes. He writes about how in pre-modern, pre-modern agrarian, largely agrarian life, you know, men's work and women's work were always, uh, always different, and and what constitutes men's work or women's work will vary depending on the context. Um, but they're always different, and they're always defined in relation to one another, and they're always ambiguously complementary. Um and He describes it as like the relationship between your right hand and your left hand. They always know where they are in relation to one another, and they're always they're, they're not the same, but they but they mirror one another, and they work together. And that, and that's and, and the nature of men's work and women's work in a Just in a pre-modern like, uh, uh,
0: harvesting and processing. Right, for instance. Know,
1: exactly, exactly. And there are he, even down to the language used down to the kind of the social spaces occupied even even down to the, the kinds of tools which are considered acceptable for one sex to use rather than the other mm. and the you know he describes villages where it would be considered deeply humiliating for a man to touch the tools that would be normally used by a woman it was just and completely touch that unthinkable
0: fucking rolling pin.
1: exactly you know it would be utterly utterly unthinkable get off my pestle and mortar for for one sex to touch the tools which are reserved for the other How and this interesting. is just a, and and so this is and and that that emerges out of a Material context in which everybody needs to work in order for survival to in order in order for for life to happen, um, and 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 what happened? You know, as as we as the world has industrialized and we've entered, I mean, what what he what he calls the the transition from vernacular gender, which is the ambiguously complementary world of men's work and women's work, into the world the world of economic sex, which is uh, which, which he he describes as, he describes as more sexist. than than the world of vernacular gender. Because although although life is less gendered, in practice, um, by pretending that everything is unisex, you end up with women being structurally disadvantaged because tacitly the default becomes the masculine one and this is the world this is what right, caroline yeah. criado perez talks about when she in the great another great book invisible women where she writes about how um how so much of the built environment and the physical environment and tools and and norms and default medical defaults and you know crash test dummies and you know all you know surgical instruments and so on are all are all Constructed for a male default, mm. and and the and the women's distinct physiology, and which is subtly different, and some in in some biomedical contexts, extremely different, is just is just quietly rendered invisible. And the, and this is this is really what Lillich is talking about when he talks about uh, the, the the more sexist nature of economic sex, because it, it it by by refusing by by pretending that men and women are interchangeable, it renders it re- effectively
0: renders women. You've invisible. got a male default. You also, interestingly, I guess, when you move across into uh, the world of mental health, you're looking at a female default, you know, I think that's
1: very true. Therapy but, 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 interventions. But just, just bringing this back to the question of why why trying to reverse engineer um, ambiguous complementarity in fr- in the world of economic sex. Now that we've got those, that, now we've got that vocabulary in place, I, I, I can maybe explain what I mean when I say it's a bit of a fool's errand. Because I mean, because in a sense, you know, you can't like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, you can't. We can't go back to to the world to the world before modernity. We're stuck with it now um we're stuck with this world in which everybody's pretending that men and women are interchangeable and and, and to a significant extent in the world of bits and bytes we kind of are and, and under those circumstances to say well we're, we're, we're just going to decree that we're, we're going to have a pre-modern division of sex labor within our private home um i mean it's a it can work like for some for some people it kind of does but i think you just need to be a little bit less doctrinaire about it And anybody who sets out to be rigidly ideological about it is setting themselves up for a toxic dynamic and potentially domestic abuse. Uh, Yeah. I mean, in practice, if you ask most married, heterosexual married couples, um you they will they'll if pretty much any any of them will tell you that there are jobs that he does and the job there are jobs that she does because that's just how it falls out and because you both prefer it that way i mean i can i could give you you, what's that were it not for digital modesty i could give you examples from my own family but i'm not going to um
0: (laughs) there's a it's like the specialization of labor, almost, right? right, right? right, right. But domestic specialization right. of labor.
1: But there are, I mean, there are instances in my own family where the the division of labor is counterintuitive. If you were, if you were coming at it from a rigid, doctrinaire point of view, right. it wouldn't it wouldn't be the the way it is. But but it, it works that way because we both like it that way.
0: So moving forward, in that case, the we should return to a tradcon history in the future. Is that that's just a, a dead end as far as you're concerned? Well, I,
1: I I think we need to be we just need to be a bit more attentive to where we are, and I think we can we can afford to be a little bit more. Respectful of the the dynamics within individual couples. I mean, it's it's generally like there are patterns which emerge. You know, in any in any given heterosexual couple, you know, that's been together long term, there'll be there'll be things which are more typical of the male partner and things which are more typical of the female partner. And I and that's fine. You know, we shouldn't be trying to fight against those stereotypes if if they're what works for people. But I I, but but I don't see much point in imposing imposing kind of you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. Mm. You know, because ultimately, you know, people, well, people, people need guidelines.
0: What, people do but, need guidelines.
1: But but people, you know, pe- people work. People people can figure out what works best for them. I mean, here's, here's one example. Uh, so, like, talking in very general terms, I mean, I've made the argument that the problem with tradwives, as such, is that they're just not trad enough. Um, in the sense that the, the, what they're harking back to is a sort of mid-20th mid century template, which was actually only true for a very small subset of the middle class, right. and which is distinct in itself distinctively modern, because in, in pre-modern times, all women worked, pretty apart from the, the very, very richest.
0: Right, so you're and saying, so, so the idea is like, send it further back, agrarian, grab your right. pestle and mortar and hoe and get working. In the- so,
1: so, so the question I want to ask is, what, what does a 21st century version of the pre-modern productive household look like you know the the, the house you know, where, where the, the basic economic unit is your household and so you, you've agreed you're all in it together you're there for the long term you know everything that you do you do for the team um and then it's then it's just a matter of agreeing of, of, of figuring out how how you, how to get the best out of everybody and I and like i can't I'm not interested in legislating for any given couple what that looks like, hmm. um, and in in a, in a modern context where most of us work in the world of in the world of bits and bytes anyway. I I, I don't know. I can't I can't say I can't make that determination for you. Yeah. Um. But but you but there will be a way. You know, when you when you form your household and you and you and you make your decision about how you can get the best out of your productive household, there'll be a, there'll be a, there'll be a pattern. And I think there's there's no shame in in accepting that sometimes that can fit into a more traditional mould.
0: What was that insight that you had about women needing to develop a strategy for not having it all?
1: Well, I guess that's just a variation on talking about productive households. Because I mean, when, again in feminism against progress, the, the the analogy I've given is weaving, which I think is it's a very it's a very powerful illustration of what happened to, to women's work at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, in that for, for some sort of 10, 20, 30,000 years prior to the Industrial Revolution, weaving was always women's work. And there are very there are solid practical reasons for that. Um you can weaving is something I mean, the a household needs textiles, right? You know, you don't have textile factories, somebody needs to make textiles you know you need them for clothes and you need them for all sorts of different things so so somebody's got to do the weaving um and and somebody's also got to look after the kids happily weaving and looking after kids are fairly compatible because you can raise a loom off the floor um you can you can put down you can put down your repetitive you can do it whilst keeping an eye on you know toddlers or small people running around and it's interruptible and it's social so, so it's it's ideal work to be to be getting on with while you've also got small children underfoot. And so, for for millennia, millennia after millennia, uh, weaving has been women's work. And but but weaving was also one of the first industries to move out of the home um, into factories. And at that point, uh, at that point, it was very it was much more difficult for it to continue to be women's work. And you know, those those working class women who went to work in the textile mills had real dilemmas on their hands because I mean, what do you meant to do with your breastfed baby? You know, and there was there was a, there are horror stories, yeah. about, you know how how women tried tried their best to cope with that. You know babies drugged with opium or you know left to starve or you know mm. in, you know left in the inadequate care of um, yeah, it's awful stuff. And then and then there are those women who there are those women who, who respond by just saying okay, fine, we're not going to make the textiles anymore, so we're just going to focus on on different stuff. Um, but 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 the point is that and um, if you're if it. We've yeah, weaving is a is a fine example of, of of the kind of work which which can which in the in, in pre modern times took place within a productive household, and and I suppose the question I have is you know what kinds of work like let's say you want to be a mum and let's say you've got small children around underfoot what's the, what what's the equivalent work that's a bit interruptible that's a bit social that's a bit um, you can pick it up and put it down again. And, that's not and, what
0: people think about when they think about have it all though, right? It's I well, you can't
1: to. have it all. Come on, everybody knows that. Well, they ought to. Mm-hmm. Like enough feminists prior to me have have have, have 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 leveled with the world. You know, you can't have it all. You know, you can have a lot, um, and you can you can have a great time doing it. But you can't have it all all of the time, all at once. You know, you have to do some, some things one after another.
0: Louise said that she she worked it out and she was doing forty hours a week of breastfeeding, yep. like a full a more than full time job of just that part yeah. just that one vertical
1: yeah
0: underneath the child having process
1: yeah 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 and that's not that's not something you can outsource because it's not it's not just food you know there's there's a whole the foundational layers of Suite your child's
0: mother making child making the yeah,
1: foundational aspects of your child's capacity for self-regulation and your child's capacity for being being an integrated person are laid down in those early early interactions um, it's not something which can be subcontracted. do you it's think that's profoundly important?
0: This work. was something that Mary Eberstadt said to me. She thinks that motherhood's a mimetic desire, at least in some hmm. in some regard, that um you know, one of her answers to the birth rate decline is that fewer mothers beget fewer mothers.
1: I think there's some truth in that, yeah, yeah. I mean if you think I'm, I'm trying to think how many how many babies did I ever hold before my own not very many to be honest mm. if any it's possible it's possible that the first baby I ever held was my own or if not if not the first very certainly very cl- close to the first and I was in my late 30s yep. You just think this is crazy. You know, there was a, not, not even that long ago, there was a time when you, you'd have been, you'd have been left holding younger siblings or, um, other people's kids or you'd have been around little babies and, and it wouldn't have been frightening in the same way. But it's, you know, the, one of the reasons, you know, middle, uh, middle class older mothers like me sit and sit there, you know, with our, with our, our, our late stage pregnancies, frantically consuming baby books, is because we just don't we don't have Didn't that we don't have that practice around us anymore, um, because families have got smaller and extended families have got more scattered and extended families have got smaller as well. So, so the the as as Mary so eloquently explains um, in her, you know, she writes a lot about the the shrinking of the family and the the atomizing effect that that, that has and the loss that that imposes on. Everybody.
0: Adam Lane Smith's got this thing about how. Um, don't forget that moving out of the house at eighteen is a psyop by the mortgage industry to turn one family into two homes.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you can you can make the argument, same argument for the divorce industry. You know, there are there are genuinely op- opinion pieces out there from divorce lawyers um, arguing that divorce is good for the GDP, which it is.
0: That's interesting. I mean, Mia I mean, Kali- it's kind of dark. Mia Khalifa, yeah, uh, very famous porn star, said. um... Uh, marriage is nothing sacred. This is a recent video she put up. Marriage is nothing sacred. It's just a piece of paper. If the person that you're with isn't helping you grow, you need to let them go. Uh, Obviously, Mia Khalifa is a paragon of successful relationships. Um, and
1: I would respectfully disagree with the sentiment.
0: And uh, I just thought, uh, I had this really, really great guy, and I'm going to send you the episode when it goes up, this dude called Mads Larson. Mm. And he tracked all Of the different Western mating ideologies over time and how they were uh, adaptive for the particular cultural uh, time. And he goes through, you know, the like agrarian, the uh, romantic, and he calls the one that we're in now the confluent huh. era. You know,
1: uh, I mean the the coinage which I've used in the book is it's not actually my coinage I forget the the sociologist who coined it but the self expressive marriage which I think is a very good and, and really what the quote the quote from Khalifa that you just mm-hmm. you just offered is a perfect expression mm-hmm. of the the self-expressive marriage mm. this idea that you know your your partner is 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 a vector for your self-actualization and the moment they stop delivering on that front you can kick them to the curb yep. you know there's no there's no sense of mutual solidarity there's no sense of being in it for the long haul there's no commitment to anything which is bigger than yourself uh, necessarily yep. um, except as it uh, in except in this very transactional sense of it it, it b- d- delivering goods for you and and the moment the moment that starts to that, that starts to falter or you it goes through a rough patch for any reason you're wholly entitled to sever the contract and go and look for it somewhere else. It's incredibly consumerist paradigm. But I would I I've, I argue that the the issue with that um, is that we, we don't live in the age of we no longer live in the age of age of economic abundance which which underpinned and gave rise to that marriage ideology. It's just you know except for except for the wealthiest who are just rich enough to survive divorce and to have their children come out you know only mildly fucked up rather than deeply. <sighs> Um, You know, for everybody else who's further down the food chain, you know, I mean, divorce, you know, divorce and single parenthood is an absolute catastrophe for a great many of the women who go through it, because it's almost always the women who end up with with, with care of the children. And I mean, the the feminization of poverty, quote unquote, is directly downstream of the breakdown of of families.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it it comes back to it again, the luxury beliefs idea. Rob was here this morning, Yes. Yes. um, and it just bears repeating again the best thing that I've learned from you, and you taught me it before your book was even out. The rules that are made by the upper classes are luxury beliefs that don't impact them. They impact the poorest women and the poorest families and the poorest children. So it is one straight line from chivalry is good and you should hold the door open for women that you don't know as you go in and out of a hotel right down to you shouldn't beat your wife like it is a single straight yeah, yeah, yeah. very slippery yep. slope that gets yep. slippery yep. the closer that yep. you get to the bottom
1: yeah i mean and if and what manifests as holding a door open at the top of the food chain is might if you're lucky as a woman manifest at the bottom of the food chain as intervening when you see a woman being assaulted on a on a tube platform And and the more the more you attack the holding the door open, the the less likely you are as as a sole traveller in late at night, you know, with no who can't afford to get a taxi, Hmm. to have somebody come to your aid if you find yourself um, being attacked on a tube platform alone.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, obviously, if you've got a denial of sex differences, well, why does the man need to step in?
1: Just so. Just so. Uh, uh, As though though the upper body strength and the physical weight and the height and Mm -hmm. all of those Mm -hmm. things had had all suddenly been magically flattened by the fact that we're talking to each other on computer screens.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Douglas about this yesterday. That gentleman who's currently about to be on trial in New York for uh, choking a guy out that was, I think, dragging It sounds away.
1: as though he's going to be acquitted, but that was an insane trial. That was, a, that was an insane effort to lynch somebody who was obviously doing doing a, a public service. But
0: think about how many people now in the interim, while this case is still an open loop, and maybe even after if he gets acquitted, yes, he's acquitted. Yes, the
1: tutelary effect for any man t- tempted to intervene in a public situation like that is, is a
0: fucking disaster. fucking scary. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I don't because... want to be I don't want to be uh, me-tooed or, 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 no. or uh, the next George Floyd uh, right, case exactly. or any of exactly
1: stuff. exactly it's an absolute disaster
0: yeah it's scary what's your thoughts on the surrogacy industry
1: <laughs> i think it should be banned all of it banned yeah across the board i don't think surrogacy should be a thing why little ba- little babies need their mothers um and and mothers are not in inter- yeah, um, no no a woman is not a factory you know, gestation is not a process of manufacturing to the for, to produce a product which can then be handed over willy-nilly to to another another carer. Um, pregnancy doesn't just create a baby. Pregnancy creates a mother. Um, it, it pregnancy rewires your brain it it transforms you through a series of you know you, you know you you get sort of ho- hormone bathed for for nine months over the you know and over the course of that your body changes your 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 breasts change everything about you changes in and and you it completely reorients you towards ready prior- to receive yeah, re- ready to receive baby. and, and to, to receive baby and to prioritize the care of baby so in in a set you're, you're and uh, this is this is not just true across human species it's true across countless animal species you're primed for attachment and you're primed for atten- attunement mm. to your child um and uh, of course this is not to say that, that that this is not to say that adoptive parents don't do a brilliant job and there are countless adoptive parents who do wonderful jobs and and do and care for and, and care wonderfully for their adopted children however um everybody everybody accepts that a motherless child is in a is off to a weaker start than than, than the uh, than a child born into a loving home where, where with with their mother and father and there's a reason for that and it's because the the attu- attunement that the, that come the that that basic biological level of attunement and attachment that's primed through the process of pregnancy um, is is essential from birth onwards to to laying the absolute foundations of what it means to be an integrated person. Um, and, and to say and, and I think it's just profoundly morally wrong to say we should, we should create a you know, new life with the, with the express intention of severing that bond at birth because somebody just for the sake of adult desires. I think that's profoundly inverting the duty of care that we owe to dependent infants. You know we should be prioritizing their needs, not ours.
0: Did you see the episode I did with Dr. Anna Machin about life of dad and about how, yes, yeah, so this I'll send it to you. It's so good. So she looked at the role of fathers kind of throughout all of a child's upbringing to they leave the home and talked about how I think that one of her pregnancies was uh, particularly difficult and um th- then she and the child had been taken away after the birth which was successful and, and she was okay uh and the dad was just left in there no one even came up to him and he just thought that like mum could be dead daughter could, yep. a child could be dead uh and no one ever spoke to him about it you know all of the Pre child classes, I don't know what they're called. Um, all of them are focused on mum. Mum's the one that's going to give birth. It's her body that goes through the stress, et cetera, et cetera. But she said uh, fathers can deal with uh, a, like post child depression. What's it called? Postpartum. Thank you. Postpartum depression. Dads can get that. Um, there's this really, really common uh, issue that fathers encounter, which I saw firsthand. And then she talks about in the book, which is that uh, wife is pregnant. Future dad-to-be knows that wife is pregnant, six, seven, eight, nine months deep. Dad doesn't feel like he cares about child. Dad doesn't have any change in paternal instinct. Dad doesn't have any The cascade. bond develops
1: after birth for dads. It develops. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of evidence. But they feel guilt and shame. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was sat in this, I remember where I was sat in Austin with this room, like... 100 millionaire, 100 millionaire, billionaire, millionaire, millionaire, 100 millionaire, like big hitters all the way around this room. And it was one of these, you know, guys, if anyone's got anything that they're, you know, they wanted a bit of advice on, we've got a room of people that are pretty capable in here and you can say what you want. This dude was like, wife's eight months pregnant. Don't think I'm going to love the kid. What do I do? And dude sat across from him and was like, Give it six months after the birth, everything will change. But that fear and the guilt and the shame and can I tell my partner? Does this mean I don't love my partner? Does this mean I'm going to be a terrible father? You know, all of these things. Like that one insight from that episode, I haven't had so many tags and messages from guys in a really long time. Because I thought I thought I was broken. I thought I was defective. Uh, or I am going through this right now my wife is x months pregnant or the child is three months old. I'm like I just feel nothing for this kid yeah, yeah. and
1: uh, and it, and it just takes longer for men. okay, so now bringing it back to surrogacy so now imagine that um, instead of instead of it being the dad who takes who takes that long to develop the bond with the child now it's both parents. Because neither parent has been through the biological priming process of pregnancy Wow um, now and now imagine now let, let's we, I can't prove that this is going to do this is going to impact on the on the life of a newborn baby, but I would bet you any money that it will yeah. and I think it's just profoundly wrong to take that immediate immediate love of, of of motherhood away from to intentionally deprive a child of that in the name of adult desire. I just think that's profoundly morally wrong and we shouldn't be allowing it.
0: I think I saw a video. I was told about a video of one of the Kardashians. Yes,
1: one of the Kardashians who was very open about this. And she, you know, she, she procured a child by surrogacy. Um, and it was, Procured? Yeah, it's, it's human trafficking, Chris.
0: It's human yeah, trafficking. Just using your own Sorry. genetics.
1: Yeah, it's human trafficking using using sometimes your own genetics. So she she procured a baby via surrogacy and was very open about the fact that she really struggled to bond with with the baby. And I was thinking, you know, so so okay, like well, we can all we can all empathize with you maybe, but like, can we can we just think about what the baby's going through here? This is a newborn baby who needs to be surrounded by love and and responded to with care and you know nursed whenever it needs, picked up and held whenever he or she needs it, and 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 both parents are struggling to bond. And both parents are, are are feeling nothing, and both parents. There's enough nannies are, around
0: I'd, to you know just pick it up, give it to the nanny. The nanny will continue to pick I'd, it. I'd,
1: up. Yeah, and I, I just i inside reading that, I just wept for the baby who was still not being centered in the story. Yeah. Even, even as Kardashian was talking about how she was how, how about her emotional journey, even then the child was not being centered in the story. Yeah. And I, I just think it's profoundly profoundly upside down. We owe a duty of care to to the, the most dependent of all and the most vulnerable of all, which is our babies. Hmm. And and, and every time we prioritise our own desires over those of our babies, we're failing in that duty of care.
0: What do you mean by Matt Walshism? What's that? <laughs> Tell me about Matt Walshism.
1: <laughs> this is this is my. I mean, I don't I don't normally I don't normally pick named fights with with people. But when I when I talk about Matt, Matt Walshism, this is this is a frustration I have sometimes with the with certain elements on the on on the right. Uh, this sort of anti-feminist right if you like you know and this 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 really comes down to you know, where where my arguments come from which is about the you know, material conditions and feminism emerging out of the the technological transformations first of the industrial era and later of the cyborg era um and uh, my my argument that really we have to we have to look at where we are in terms of the the material and the technological conditions which are producing the, uh, these these challenges that we now face and sometimes I've, I find a, find myself frustrated with those elements on the right who seem to Think that everything about modern life can stay the same except what women do, and then everything will be fine.
0: Give me an example. Uh,
1: so, so for example, you know, it's let me let me think of an example. That everything of everything that's wrong in the dating culture will be wrong if it would be fixed if women would just stop being whores. To take, I mean, that's a very crude example, but it's a sentiment that I hear. You know, women just need to stop being whores, and everything will be fine. And I'm like, well, okay, but you know, you, does that mean you're going to stop shagging around? Does that mean you're going to s- stop having contracepted sex with, with random women? Does that mean you're going to stop watching porn? Does that mean, I mean, so many, <laughs> I mean, so, somebody, yep. Yeah, so, so, so many of these quote unquote trad men have semi-public porn habits, you know, and we're, we're, we're completely indiscriminate about liking, like you sort of ethos accounts on, on Instagram, mm. you know, whilst simultaneously inveighing against, you know, against you know, trad women, you know, shagging. Co- Displaying more than a few square inches of skin Hmm. on the internet, and I'm thinking, you know, will you look at yourselves for a minute? You know, I mean, if we're going to have chastity, can we have fucking chastity across the board? You know, I'm I'm all for more chastity, but let's all let's all be in in the party, please. You know, and if it it really is just about everything staying the same except what women do, then oh yeah, to to me it's the right wing equivalent of thumb sucking. It's just failing to look at any of the deeper structural drivers of some of the difficulties that we face, and just just retreating back into oh it's all oh, it's just the fault of those nasty women. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes it is the fault of those nasty women, but not always, and it's never just us.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And to think about um, that, you've got some rule of thumb about how every political movement, when it becomes mainstream, is reduced to its most, most idiot possible, <laughs> most idiotic possible yes. version.
1: Yes, the most imbecilic possible version of
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: it's guaranteed to be the one that goes mainstream.
0: Well, it's just the... the, the path of least resistance of memes I right
1: guess. yeah 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 yeah. the more the more reductive something becomes the more
0: yeah, yeah the well, more I mean, reductive it becomes i again i had a conversation for two hours today about memes you know and the number of times that we quoted meme first explain later <laughs> like the stickiness arms race of a lot of this stuff uh causes people to be able to get ineffectual ideas across with good branding hmm. and good advertising and good marketing and i think that uh, definitely a lot of the stuff that's coming out with regards to mating and dating advice is a lot of the time that it's things that on the surface sounds, uh, triggers all manner of different biases, whether it be uh, your sort of uh, tribalism against the other party, the other sex, um, whether it's the path of least resistance yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. looking for. Like there's a whole host of different reasons why people end up arising at uh, arriving at the particular conclusions that they do.
1: But the right. more it gets boiled down to a set of just doctrinal talking points, the more useless it becomes. I mean, I don't really want to get into incel discourse because it's not—it's actually not a terrain I'm massively familiar with. But every so often, I hear these talking points, which are trotted out pretty much kind of without without any context or without any sense of qualification. Um, you know, like like the one about you know. A, a, 20% of the men are getting 80% of the women. Stop saying uh, that. I haven't, like, said right. that for,
0: I haven't said that for two years. No, no,
1: no. I'm not, I'm not saying you. I'm not saying you. I'm but just putting do, it out there. But people trot it out as though it's just as though it's just gospel truth. And I look around, or, or like, you know, women Women won't date somebody who's less than six feet tall. And I'm like, hello, do you have eyes? Do you ever go outside? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, well, I'm, this I mean, is, yeah. This is
0: a terminally online issue, right? And again, both of us are. And I... Uh, this isn't me lambasting the people that are terminally online. It's me saying that if you are kind of the Hello, same way- Hello, I'm terminally way, online. Yeah, the, but the way that the sniper tries to adjust, okay, so the wind is blowing 15 knots east to west. Okay, so I adjust how I perceive what the target is. Like, if you spend this much time online- uh, So Louis has this theory about yourself, right, that I'll give you, which is that you've got a barbell strategy, which is like extremism online and extremism touching grass. And like never the twain shall meet and, and the gray area is where you go to die, right? This dark playground where you kind of like, uh, I think her, uh, her husband calls it good screen, bad screen. It's like, I've spent enough time on bad screen today, which is working emails, So I get some good screen time tonight, which is watching Netflix or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately you're still within the confines of the game. And I, you know, said this a ton of times, the most egregious stories online mm. are the ones that garner the most attention and people who don't ever spend any time not being online use those as an indication of what the real world is like, but they forget that those stories are selected for precisely because they're insane. The yep, yep, yep. M- man leaves the house comes back and the wife's slept with the postman and and the postman's dog and now he's you know left to die under a bridge with a, a diabetic foot and a, a gluten intolerance or something like that that story's insane which is why it garners yeah, so yeah, much yeah. opinion and also yeah. so much attention and you don't know if it's true and even if it is true it's probably unrepresentative
1: here's a case a, a fine example of that from actually not the dating discourse but just to just to illustrate the point Yep, yeah, there was a video that did the rounds the other day somebody compiled some zoomers wearing ridiculous clothes and made a little video compilation of zoomers wearing absurd outfits and okay. put it out on the internet saying you know my the, the zoomers are beyond redemption or sub, some caption like that you probably saw the video that like and, and they look stupid sure i mean i looked stupid when i was 19 as well i wore ridiculous clothes and and i was <laughs> i looked at this and i thought and and i, I And then later, I watched this video. And then later that day, I drove. I drove through Cambridge, which is extremely full of young people. Like it's it's very very zoomer dense environment, Cambridge, Um, because I I had to go there for some something or other. Um, And I was I was looking looking along the streets. I was thinking. Is, is this a, 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 you know the 20 something you know early 18 year old 19 year old 20 year old walk after one after another walks past me wearing just normal clothes hmm. <laughs> and i was looking at them thinking no you're you're not sartorially beyond redemption you're just wearing normal yeah, clothes yeah where's
0: the cat ears yeah where, fucking... where,
1: exactly where's the cat ears and the absurd kind of you know non-binary get up and yeah. the and the stilts Technical and, the, dream coat. You know, <laughs> yeah. and the the 18 inch platforms and whatever, whatever the hell else was in this stupid video yeah. and i was thinking no no literally somebody's just gone and Compiled the most extreme and egregious, um, oh. stupid, stupid clothing that some eighteen-year-olds were wearing, and and have tried to generalize that to everybody, and that's that's just what the internet does, as you say, and and but when you apply that to the relationship discourse, um, then you, you end up in a situation where people are, gen- especially people who are not making much of an effort for whatever reason to reality test this against what's actually happening out there, you know, are, are really struggling and are finding themselves sort of circling the drain a bit with, with in terms of their assumptions and expectations.
0: One of my friends referred to it as. As uh, shadow boxing an imaginary hegemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fucking like beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Right? That you have this thing that doesn't exist, yeah. that you're somehow compensating for and interacting with, despite the fact, <laughs> again, it isn't there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it exists like in this ineffable place that everyone kind of perceives and no one ever sees except for in this sort of virtual world, which then impacts the way that you show up. And then you get, you know, culture and counterculture occurs to, okay, well, fuck it. Like, I'm going to become a furry or whatever because I've seen it on the internet and I know that it pisses off the right wing or I'm going to become a gun-toting MAGA Republican because I know that it pisses off the, you know, all the way down. So yeah, it's, um...
1: I I give thanks every day for the fact that I have to show up at the same time every afternoon on the, for the school run pickup
0: queue. Uh, Why?
1: I mean, it's it, it's not physically touching grass, but it it does it does that socially
0: touching yep. grass.
1: You know, I, I, I spend I spend all day like you know, Bluetoothed into the rage machine, and then I go and pick up my daughter from school, and I'm like, yes, <sighs> <laughs> and breathe out. Yeah. you know, so none, of it, none in, of it is real.
0: Everyone in M and S.
1: You know, t- Twitter is not Twitter. Actually, is real life, but it's also not real life, and it's it's important to remind yourself of the ways in which it's not true.
0: I think there should be for every one hour that you spend on the internet you should have to spend 60 seconds in the george at asda clothing <laughs> department like just to be like he's the fucking normal people again
1: you you say that i was really interested you know t- to notice in in sainsbury's as in george as in marks and spencers that 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 maxi long-sleeved maxi dresses have been all the rage for some time now okay and i've been i mean i I don't know i don't know if i can is that one of anything. the four
0: horsemen of the sartorial apocalypse
1: i don't know this is the thing but i, I i've been been noticing it and I'm thinking, are we going to have a, is this just a sign of economic downturn? Um, is it just that, you know, But because this, this is well documented, the hemlines go up when they, when, when the, when the, as the economy grows. And is it just a fact, is it just the fact that the women, that women are sensing, sensing the, the, the coming economic
0: crisis? Well, cer- well,
1: I don't know. Or, or is it, or is it the sexual counter-revolution or is it neither? Is it actually just a fashion? I, I don't know. I
0: certainly know that. But I, I've, um, I've
1: really noticed the trend.
0: Self-objectification from women is correlated with wealth inequality in the local ecology. So that's an interesting one. Women seem to self-objectify and and, and sexually objectify themselves. So th- it was Candace Blake's study on the posting of sexy selfies mm-hmm. um, and her justification for it in terms of a mechanism was that um, it shows women not only how high they could climb but how far they could fall mm-hmm. with a partner. And when you see those two things side by side, it's run away from a life you don't want and run toward a life that you do. Um, and that causes just something comes online and it's like, I will wrangle myself a husband, like activate breasts. And uh, you do that through the sort of selfies that you to And it was some insane volume, like millions of posts that they looked at to find these correlations on the internet. And yeah, that, that wealth inequality. So I, I definitely don't disagree that, you know, especially female behavior, but also male behavior too, can be impacted by local ecology, especially wealth inequality, uh, GDP. I mean, we saw even, no one ever really spoke about this. I was l- waiting for a study to come out and someone may still do it. I thought that casual sex was going to drop after COVID due to a uh, pathogen fear from women, right? Women have got a much uh, lower threshold for disgust sensitivity, quite rightly, because they're more uh, at risk of, of bearing some sort of burden. Uh, and given that we had just talk of disease and 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 infection and virus and so on and so forth for a very long time i thought that we were going to find a big after effect of that uh, it just turns out that all of the then 3 year olds now 6 year olds are like can't read and have absolutely zero social skills because they've had a mask over the face for the last 3 years
1: Well, speaking as a mother of a seven year old, that's actually not observed. That's not the case amongst my daughter's cohort. That's Uh, good. You'll you'll be pleased to know. That's good. They all seem actually to be fairly normal and well adjusted kids. The
0: reading age, uh, or the the reading levels for sure, I think, across the, um, if you look at some of the studies that have been done, don't bode particularly well it seems what's
1: what what is deaf what is absolutely clear is that there's a there's a stark economic divide um there's a there's a you know, and the the further down the f- the food chain you are economically the harder the harder, harder, you the harder hit your children were um you know for for understandable reasons, you know whether or not whether it's because you had limited social capital to or were, were struggling or were in a chaotic family or or, or simply had to had to work mm. um irrespective of lockdown and there your kids are home and there's just nobody to watch them um for, 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 for a, a thousand and one. Different reasons. Um, it's been absolutely disastrous for 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 poorer children um, to to a degree which I think is unforgivable and shouldn't be forgiven.
0: Yeah. What are you most obsessed by as subcultures go, or what are you going to be focused on over the next couple of months? Is there anything that's that's particularly caught your Actually, eye? Actually,
1: what I'm, I'm I'm reviewing I'm reviewing a, a leftist sociological academic text at the moment, which is kind of awful. It's called The Women of the Far Right. Um, right. And I'm I'm very interested in it as a text written by written by the left about the right. But I'm also interested in the the I mean it documents. It's a sort of it's a kind of progressive sociological study of some alt right female vloggers from the late from the late from sort of 2016 to 2019, including Lauren Southern. Okay. and it's kind of badly written and it's kind of it's it's kind of dated. But it's also it's also interesting as a as a phenomenon. So I'm kind of uh, uh, but but really this is just a preamble. So one of the things I'm in. Interested in and thinking about and really sort of grappling with is the ambivalent position of women within the larger conservative or right wing dissident movement because mm. it is ambivalent because there are there are a great many right wing right wing men out there who really are virulently misogynistic mm. you know and who genuinely just think women are not people um and yet um there are a great many women out there who look at who look at the sort of the the emerging kind of doctrinaire orthodoxy of the kind of the the kind of the mad left if you you know what i mean by the mad Mm -hmm. left um and who just say this is not for me and so there's a great many women who are kind of between those two poles and who are genuinely quite politically homeless and i it's a it's something I think about a lot you know I don't really have any firm conclusions or you know strong reflections on that yeah. um ex- except to say that this is a real this is a real phenomenon, and i don't know and it's like. I don't know. I mean, this the, sort of fits into a larger kind of reflection, I suppose, on on digital cultures and where we are in the discourse. Because it feels as though a great many of the trends which sort of erupted in the sort of 2015 2016, you know, with kind of you know the Trumpageddon and all the rest of it, have kind of run their course now. You know, a lot of a lot of those sort of quote unquote dissident subcultures have now pretty much percolated into the mainstream. You know, there's a whole new set of talking heads who are now pretty much, I mean, even Bronze Age Pervert has been doxxed and is now, you know, is now on his foodie arc, which is just... Uh.
0: Would you, um, would, you, would you
1: so 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 like where do we go from here? Because all it seems like all all that's left in the subculture is just this increasingly unhinged discourse about dating. And I just I mean I'm 44 and I've been married for 10 years, so like I've got nothing to add to that. So like I mean may, maybe I should just hang up my boots and go and do something else. And I mean I, I make maybe I'll start a bakery, or that maybe would help. or maybe and you <laughs> and bron-
0: Bronze Age Pervert can start the Bronze Age ba- Bakery. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think one of the reasons why everyone is always so interested in talking about the dating world is that it permits everybody to have an opinion, both those who participate and those who do not. Like if you don't know how fucking the NFL league goes, like what have you got to tell me about how Travis Kelsey should like change his like QB game or something like that? It doesn't matter. Whereas for dating people do. People do have an idea of that. And because I remember when I was working in nightlife, one of my jobs was to do, I'm, okay at copywriting so I would write the copy for a lot of the social media posts my business partner would do a lot more of the accounts and kind of back office stuff no one went up to him looked over his shoulder and gave him shit about the way that his spreadsheets looked but everyone has a social media account. So everyone's a fucking expert. So everybody had, so, oh, mate, I wouldn't have posted that at that time. Well, that, that's not the hashtag that I would have used. I thought I would definitely think that you could have done it this way. And I'm like, all right, well, like, if, like, if you're going to scrutinize me, scrutinize the fucking... <laughs> scrutinize sec- guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it just, it, it never happened. And I think that, you know, there's a few things that people all, it's why I diet, is such a a breeding ground for people to argue because everyone's got to eat, yeah, yeah. right? Everybody has an idea about how, and it's death denialism as well. Like, no, my, I'm going to live longer than you. My veganism is going to beat your carnivorism and blah, 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 blah. And ultimately it just fucking comes down to people wanting to be able to espouse their opinions whilst being insulated from the I suppose one, of one
1: sort of one optimistic read we could put on that might be that you know if if we're all still still fixated on the relations between men and women, um, that, that I think that that's that's a testament of sorts to the fact that the the war on relationships is not going to. Is never going to triumph completely, you know. Men mm. and women do still want to be together,
0: and they're going to try and continue to and the, and ev- thrash even, out this.
1: Even even if even if they're kind of you know mud wrestling horribly at the moment, mm. you know, at least on the internet. I, I, and and again, you know, t- Twitter is not real life, even though it kind of is real life. Yeah. And I, I just have to trust that somewhere, somewhere out of this messed up discourse, there Maybe are lots an of answer perfect that's fucking useful, or, or, and also that there are lots of perfectly nice and well adjusted young young men and women who are finding one another and, and forming nice relationships. You know, that what? just that just don't go anywhere. Near Twitter. You know, when I I just have to assume that that's also true.
0: One of the most like sanity reinforcing periods of my year is when I go home for Christmas hmm. and I'm at mum and dad's house and the, the Gruffalo comes on, yeah. right? And I watch the Gruffalo and I think, who's this made for? This is made for families that are sat together around the fire, whether you be shopping at Waitrose or shopping at Little. Like that's what it's built for. And it works well, it across works. the board. A great
1: story. I yeah, know it pretty much by heart, I think. Gruffalo <laughs> Gruffalo's a
0: solid story. Or, you know, like the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse, mm-hmm. right? Like just stuff like that. And it always makes me, maybe it's just because Christmas is a kind of wistful, whimsical time of year that makes everyone happy. But um, that always, that's like my media equivalent of touching grass. Hmm. I think that's one of the most grass-like uh, watching experiences. So what is this built to engender? Right? It's like just very calming, very what's that one with the dragon? What's that one with the dragon? Zog. Yes. Thank you. It always rhymes. Yeah. Um, which must be a nightmare to script. But um yeah, all of those things. And I'm like, I 35 year old childless man watches children's tv this is another warning so this is smiling at toddlers on a walk isn't it um but yeah i happily watch that and it gives me that's the stuff that my post-content clarity of that is like ah like everything's a bit everything's all right i think
1: i think i I honestly do think we're going to be all right you know I, i sincerely believe that it doesn't matter how hard we try and demolish our nature it will always find a way back I, I genuinely believe that even if e- even if as Louise sometimes worries uh, you know our culture is so structurally antinatalist that we're just going to end up self- selecting against ourselves to the uh, point that, that, that we just render ourselves extinct yeah um, it, but but th- that it doesn't follow from that that all humans are going to go extinct. it'll just be the ones from this culture it's a selection and, and, effect. yeah and so so some humans somewhere will survive and it'll be the ones who've figured out how to unplug from the Skinner machine and go back to having kids. Um, and but but we we like one way or another like you, the, the the that subset of the culture which survives will be the one that figures out how to how to get past this kind of messed up point that we're in. But but some part of it will survive. You know, I think we're going to be all right.
0: That's the white pill that I want to finish on. Mary Harrington, ladies and gentlemen, where should people go? They want to keep up to date with all the things that you're doing, and what can they expect of you over the next few? Months.
1: I write regularly at Unheard. Um, my my stack is reactionary feminist. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Moving Circles.
0: Hell yeah. Thank you, Mary.